0: Look, let's just bow before the Lord in prayer. Let's just commit our time to him. It is to you, Lord, that we look this morning and we've lifted our hearts in praise and in worship to your holy name. For you are the one who is worthy of it all. So, Lord, may we know your presence in these moments together where we consider your word and how it speaks and applies to each of our lives. Father, may we bow our hearts before you and acknowledge all that you would have to challenge us with and encourage us with that we may leave this place, this gathering today, people who are changed, people who are transformed by your very word and by your spirit. So, Father, hear this, our prayer, as we pray these things in Christ's worthy name. Amen and amen. Well, my name is Phil Boyd, Um Don and my two boys and myself have been coming along to Carrick Baptist since January of 2022. Later on in that year, we became members of the church. We've loved uh, being here. Uh, we've enjoyed uh, the fellowship and the friendships. Uh, that we've been able to make here uh, in this church. And I appreciate the opportunity to come uh, and share with you uh, this morning. I do want this chat this morning to be an encouragement uh, to us all. And that being said, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And it's the theme of momentum, and I'll come back and explain that in just a moment or two's time. We're going to just walk through the whole chapter uh, this morning, but I want to just read from verse 33. So Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 33. So we're breaking into the the passage, and it's Cornelius who's beginning to speak. And he said this, So I sent for you at once, speaking to Peter, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I'm finishing with verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. I say to you that our theme this morning is... Momentum And I certainly don't claim uh, to be a physicist. Um, I had to make sure that my handwriting was a wee bit better this morning, because up until 11 o'clock last night, I wasn't claiming to be a publicist, uh, and that really wouldn't work when you're talking about something uh, that's in the realms of physics. But the dictionary says this with regards to momentum. The quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and and velocity. So basically it's this, it's a moving object in relation to its size and its speed probably better served with an illustration. Let me talk about momentum like this. I once played a game of tennis and I emphasize the word once. If it's hard for you to imagine, I do have photographic proof uh, that it did happen. But I was playing against two opponents uh, whose names will be kept out of the illustration, but I am related to both of them. (laughs) And within the realms of this little unit, we are all very competitive. So as the rally continued, none of us wanted to give up the point. Um, And so there was a lot of forehands and backhands across uh, the court until one of the said two decided that he was going to go for the kill. Uh, and he sent me a smasher uh, over that thing in the middle, the net, and the ball came my direction. And I gave it a lovely forehand across court, thinking that it'd beaten him, only to realize that he had great speed. And as I sort of relaxed a little bit, thinking that he wasn't going to get it, he got it. And he got it with his backhand, and he sent the ball across the court. Not wanting to give up, I sprinted like two men on a wee lad after this ball. And I took the stick or the club or whatever you call it, and I swung back. It was at that point, momentum kicked in. And instead of stopping at the place where the ball was, Because of mass and because of speed, this object kept moving. You get what momentum is? Only gravity worked that day. I probably would have ended up in Cookstown or something. (laughs) But because gravity worked, I broke my left arm. My thumb was facing that way. I broke ribs and every bit of exposed skin was now bleeding. I played tennis once. But you get the idea of what momentum is. And when I think of momentum, I think of the church of Jesus Christ. And particularly when we come to the book of Acts, we see the church gain in size and gain in speed in power. There is a force that lies behind the church. It's not the people, but it's the God who called the church into existence. And I want this morning to be an encouragement to each one of us as the church. I want it to be an encouragement for each one of us as individuals who make up this church. That we are part of something that is so much bigger than us And it's on the move. When I think of momentum, I think of the church. And here in the book of Acts, we get a great feel of its size and its power. And from our message this morning, I want us to be encouraged... That as a church, God is at work. God is preparing the ground in which he calls us to work. God has given us a message. And it's a message for all peoples. Obviously, the book of Acts, as we know, was penned by Luke. And Luke also had a gospel after his name. And as we follow the transition from the gospels into the book of Acts, we see that through the gospel, Jesus came into the world and Jesus taught. Jesus teaches that the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus went about preaching and teaching that message but Jesus also healed. Jesus, through his miracles, gave us and give the world signs. Signs that were, I suppose, in the sense through earthly nature, but pointed to a spiritual reality that he is God. He also loved in a way that set set the benchmark for his disciples and for us to follow. As we think of the way that he responded and reacted to those that he uh, was with. Think about the the lady who touched just the hem of his garment and the way that he spoke to her, a woman who had been ostracized because of her her illness and her ailment, and yet he calls her daughter you now have a place in a family. The man who was deaf, the way he used sign language to allow him to understand what was happening as Jesus touched him. Jesus was loving and tender in his nature. But he loved us in such a way that he also died, and we read that in the Gospels. He died as a substitute for our sins, but death could not hold him. Because three days later, he rose victorious from the grave. Matthew 28, Jesus commissioned his followers. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Even before his ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he told his followers to wait, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will testify in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as Christ had promised that helper came, the Holy Spirit comes and the disciples go. And they do it with great momentum. All along the way, as we read through the book of Acts, we see some of the acts of some of the apostles as they preach the gospel. People hear and respond Further, as you go into the book of Acts, you see Paul in his missionary journeys doing exactly the same, taking every opportunity, even in front of governors, and even Paul prepared himself to meet Caesar, and he was ready and armed with the gospel message. What we witness in the book of Acts is that the church is being built with great momentum, both in regards to its size and also in its speed. If you want to flick back uh, in the book of Acts, look at Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Peter opens up his mouth and he speaks, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and uh, foreknowledge, of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter spoke, and 3,000 were added to the number that day. If you go to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John. Do you know what? Acts chapter 4, I, I want to see a, a show of hands here. How many people can talk about Acts chapter 4 without singing it? You know where I'm going with this? Okay, so you can follow me, okay? I'll lead us in. It may not be in the right key, but if you follow my key, we'll all be in the right key then, okay? Peter and John went to they met the man on the... He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Now sing along. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what happened? And praising God, walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The people were in such awe that 5,000 were added that day. Even when Peter and John were arrested and stood before the Sanhedrin, we read in Acts chapter 5, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. The believers were hungry and the disciples were on fire. The church is moving with great momentum. So go back to the points that I made at the beginning. With regards to the church, God is preparing the very ground that he is calling us to work in. And when we come to Acts chapter 10, sometimes we think that the two characters that we read about are the main subject of this passage. That is Peter and Cornelius. But let me say right from the get-go that this chapter is about Jesus Christ and his gospel. And God was working in the hearts of both Peter and Cornelius. When we come to Cornelius, God was working in his heart throughout this chapter. In fact, probably throughout his life. Here we have Cornelius, a Gentile, a centurion, a leader in the Roman army. And like all centurions that we hear mentioned in Scripture, Luke 7 is a focal point, and Luke 23... They're described as of men of steady mind and good reputation. They're always spoken of well. But here Cornelius is described as a God-fearer. Now, I won't suggest for a minute that, that he's a believer at the beginning of this chapter. But what he is described as is devout and generous. And what I would suggest is that Cornelius has an ongoing relationship with God. And why do I say that? we we'll look at verse 3 and verse 30 of Acts chapter 10. He prayed to God. He had that intimate fellowship with God through prayer. We see that on the ninth hour, the customary time for prayer, Cornelius did just that. And God spoke to him through a vision and through an angel. And God spoke to him by name. We know that Cornelius responded to God with fear, that holy awe, because he understood who God is. But when we think of that from a Jewish perspective, this centurion, this Gentile whilst they were sympathetic to and even supportive of the Jewish uh, observances. For the Jewish mindset, they stopped short of becoming full Jews and therefore accepted because of their lifestyle and certainly in reference to the lack of circumcision. So to the Jewish eyes, they were still technically unclean. Yes, they may have respected this man, they may have appreciated his generosity, but it was not permissible from a Jewish point of view that these God fearing Gentiles were able to share the lives and even the homes of these Jews. But God was also preparing Peter, a Jew, Peter 2 was spoken to through a vision. And if you look at verse 13, it was revolved around food. And Peter, I'm sure like many of us, went to sleep hungry, uh, maybe thinking about what he could eat. Maybe he was thinking about a Victoria Hotspot pasty. I'm not 100% sure. But what he was told in this vision was that there was no difference now in what he could eat. Get up, Peter, and eat All animals were to be seen as clean. Now, when it comes to inappropriate responses, Peter is certainly top of the list. Verse 14 he says, Surely not, Lord. Peter again puts his foot in his mouth. We're accustomed to Peter being that way. When we think back to Luke chapter 22, Peter confesses Christ. um, And Jesus tells him, well, this has not been given to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Then Jesus says what the Son of Man would have to suffer and die. And then Peter had to be corrected because his theology of messiahship was skewed with. He certainly believed that the Messiah would not suffer and would not die, but that is the very purpose in which Jesus came. And for Peter, he hasn't made the connection between the vision and the lesson. What is the lesson? That it is no longer appropriate to apply the distinction of clean and unclean to what we eat, but more importantly, not only with regards to what we eat, but with whom we eat it with. I think by verse 28, Peter begins to make the connection because we see Peter entering Cornelius' home. Verse 28 says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, for me, what is interesting here is that God is bringing Peter along. He's moving him from being a man of the culture to a man of the kingdom. John Stott in his commentary on Acts says Peter refuses both. First of all, To be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god. Look at that interaction between uh, Cornelius and Peter when Peter first arrives. But he also refuses to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog. You see, in Cornelius, he's beginning to see, as a Gentile, value and equality. And surely that's what kingdom living is all about. God prepares the way. And folks, when we come to worship and we come to serve with the gifts that God has given us as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be confident and encouraged that God is at work. And he is preparing the way for the ministry, for the service of this church. Who knows that outside this building this morning that there is some person waking up from a drunken stupor thinking, is this it? Is this all that life has to hold for me? And guess who has the message to say, no, that is not the case. There is much, much more in Christ Jesus. God is at work in our world, here, in this place. And He has given us a message for all people. It's in verse 34 that we see the penny really dropping for Peter. Peter opens his mouth and said, "Truly I understand that God shows no partiality." And for Peter there is this whole new understanding. Certainly he recognized what God has done for him through Jesus Christ, but there is this new understanding of God's grace. There's this new understanding of the true identity of God's people in the new covenant. Peter goes on to preach a sermon in verses 34 to 43. And there it's all focused on Jesus. He stresses Jesus Christ. Verses 37 and 38, he talks about the life of Jesus. Verse 39 to 41, Jesus' death and resurrection, which he witnessed firsthand. Verses 42 and 43, he talks about the coming judgment by Jesus, but also that forgiveness of sin is available through Jesus Let me pause on verse 33. Cornelius says, Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You see, even the very message that Peter spoke was prepared by God. Peter was prepared by the Holy Spirit on what to say. And for those in Cornelius' home, their hearts had been prepared to hear that message. One of the things that I've enjoyed over these last few months, and I mean not just one or two, but double figures, is the variety of different speakers that we've had here Sunday by Sunday, some from within even our own fellowship. But they don't just get up here and speak from their hip pocket but a lot of preparation and prayer goes into a a message that they would believe as an encouragement to you and a challenge from the Lord. And we expect that preparation in one's preaching, that it needs to be prepared. But as a congregation, we too need to come prepared. James Montgomery Boyce says this. He says, when God prepares the messenger as well as those who are to hear him, then tremendous things happen. When I say pause at verse 33, I want to pause with a question. What is your expectation for today? Is church a place where you come and meet friends? And that's a good thing to catch up. But is that it? Is it the place where you're dragged to Sunday by Sunday because you're not old enough to have a choice? Maybe this morning you've been invited along. And I asked this question respectfully What has been your expectation? Have you come to meet with God's people? Have you come to meet with God and to hear his still sweet voice whisper tenderly to your heart to encourage you, to challenge you, to feed you, to equip you for works of service? Peter opens his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Here is the fundamental principle of the gospel message. That is that it is a message for all people. Now, we, when we think about it in its context, in the time that it was written into the audience, that it was given, a predominantly Jewish audience, When these words are uttered, their minds think of only one thing, and that is that God does show partiality, particularly towards them as Jews, and an impartiality against the Gentile. When you think about it this way, a very common prayer that any self-respecting Jew would make first thing in the morning was to thank God. The beginning of his day would be to thank God that, first of all, that he wasn't a slave. Second of all, that he wasn't a woman. And thirdly, that he wasn't a Gentile. Now, when we think of a Gentile and their perspective... The other side of the coin is that the Gentiles didn't always have a great view of the Jews. They seen them as weird traditionalists, always following some sort of program or, or ritual. In fact, they even thought they were weird because in their mindset, they believed that they worshipped pigs. The pigs were a sacred animal because they stayed away from bacon products. But what I want us to see this morning, that there is a sea change happening. As the church moves with great momentum, that change happens because of the spread of the gospel. Because in the gospel, there is a challenge against culture and kingdom living. Within the gospel and in the realms of Christianity, we are to see value and worth and significance in every single person. And as Christianity moves and the message of the gospel moves with great momentum, religion, uh, in, in terms of Christianity, it is the first religion to disregard racial, cultural, and national limitations. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. So when we bring that message forward to our world today, In the context of the world in which we live, has it really changed that much? You see, I believe that there are many of us who also think in the terms of race, ethnicity, gender, color, politics, and even in terms of culture. We often think that God sees only in color or economic status or nationality. But yet the message of the gospel, the message of Scripture, is that God is interested in the heart. When God looks at us, he sees righteous and unrighteous. You see, God knows our very thinking. He knows uh, the words before they even touch our tongue. He knows our motivations. He knows all of our actions before they're even done, because he knows our hearts. You see, the world may divide us into many different subgroups, but not with God. Because in verse 35 we read, but in every nation, anyone who fears, anyone who has that reverential awe of understanding who God is and what God has done for us, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In every nation, anyone. Peter's making it clear that the church is now to include Gentiles as well as Jews. Every nation. Every nation will be represented in this new covenant. The reason being is that the only requirement for entry as the people of God is faith and obedience in Christ. Faith and obedience in Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the point here, as I've already said, is not that Cornelius was already right with God, but rather he should not feel excluded from being right with God or restored because of his background. Can I say this respectfully today? Nor should you. If you're here this morning, And your mind and your heart is focused on yesterday or or the actions of last month or, or the life that you have lived up to this point. That is not to exclude you from the family of God. But rather through faith in Jesus Christ and obedience in him, you can be restored. As for the word that he sent to Israel, verse 36, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. See, this is the truth that we should not forget. This is the truth that we should hold on to, and that is the deity of Jesus. Christ's deity, Jesus' deity, encapsulates for us that there is no division when it comes to the saving work Jesus. You see, only Jesus can save both Jew and Gentile. And why? Because he is God. Because he is God. So, this message, verse 37 and following, the message that Peter gives is the gospel in a nutshell. Here we see Peter preaching what he must practice. And now we see that Peter truly understands his mission. He doesn't have one mission for the Jews or one message for the Jews and another message for the Gentiles. But there is one message, one gospel for both Jew and Gentile alike. And that is that all people need to be saved by coming to a living faith in a living Jesus. We all have in us the ability to preach a sermon. Look at Peter's sermon, albeit it's brief. But it's a good model to follow because it's a complete explanation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He tells his audience that Jesus was baptized in identification with humanity, that he was also anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus went about doing good and healing, delivering those oppressed by the devil. And Jesus did this with the power of God, for he was God. Jesus did these things in in, in front of eyewitnesses, in the presence of eyewitnesses. These signs, these miracles, these things that Jesus did, these things that Jesus said, were to point the audience to who he truly is. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I am that gospel. Jesus was identifying himself as their redeemer. So therefore, Jesus was crucified. Died in our place, to bear our sins upon his shoulders, but death could not hold him. He was raised from the dead by power. And he commanded his followers to preach the message of who he is and what he has done. Jesus was ordained by God to be the judge of the entire world, the ones that the prophets foretold of, but he is also Savior. So let me bring this to a conclusion. Peter finishes his address by teaching that because Jesus is the resurrected Messiah, he alone is both Savior and Judge. For he has commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus now seated at the Father's side is interceding for those who are his. But he's also preparing to judge all the world at his return. Folks, God is preparing the ground in which he has called us to work. He has given us a message that is clear. And it's a message for all people. Therefore, there is hope. There's hope for those who turn to Christ in faith and repentance. To all the prophets, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So again, I ask another question. Do you know your sins are forgiven? This morning, if you're here, and maybe you didn't know what to expect, and for the first time you're hearing about a a Savior who will forgive your wrongdoings, who will forgive your sins, who will forgive your past I encourage you this morning to embrace him. Maybe you need to talk this through with someone, and there are people here today who are available to do that with you. And I encourage you not to leave this place today without speaking to someone. Because maybe where you are, you feel hopeless. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is hope, and there's hope even beyond the grave you're here this morning and you're a believer maybe the question should be do you live like your sins are forgiven maybe you're carrying about the weight of your past life and you're carrying it around your neck like a millstone please do not water down the forgiveness of Christ and why Christ died in your place as your substitute he did it so that sin would have no hold on you when you are in Christ Jesus. And what he does not hold against you, why should you hold it? Maybe today it's about letting go and living a life, a kingdom life that is filled with hope. The message that we hear today it's not just for the Jew, but for everyone. You see, faith in Christ is the true mark of the people of God. It's not tradition. It's not circumcision. It's not ethnicity or national pride. It's not status or how much money you have in your bank account. Faith in Christ is our mark. We've all heard the same message. We've all received forgiveness because of Jesus. And maybe as you reflect this morning, I want us to celebrate the truth that God's grace has come to all people. The offer of God's grace is available to you. God, in his infinite mercy, has reached out to us and has given us the free offer of the gospel. As a church, as God has prepared the ground and is preparing the ground with a message that is for all people, we have a responsibility as his people to take that message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, all people around us. Folks, from that moment the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, the church has been moving with great momentum and it hasn't stopped yet. There are men and women and boys and girls all around this world coming to faith in the risen Savior. People are sharing that message because God is preparing the ground and they are going. As much as there is a responsibility to take that gospel, can I say to, there's also a responsibility to receive that message. And maybe that's your place today. As you have heard it in the, the presence of all these people, The church of Jesus Christ. Maybe today for you is that day of salvation. So if there is anyone who needs to respond to that free offer of salvation, I encourage you to come. God shows no impartiality. Your background isn't on trial, your culture, your lifestyle, your ethnicity, even your past sin. Because what Jesus offers is a rest your soul. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Let's pray together. Lord, we do indeed look to you. For there is no other name that is higher than that of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray and ask that our hearts would be moved by your word today. That you would cause us to action. That you would cause us to move. Father, you are the one who is working in this world. And you're even working in our own community. Father, we thank you for the many men and women and boys and girls who do uh, cast their shadow upon this building, the people that you bring us into interaction with, whether it be in our, our streets or in our workplace or in our families. Father, may we be ready with that message, a message for all that Jesus Christ came into the world to save that which is lost. Father, encourage us, mobilize us, I pray. And Father, for that person, maybe sitting in the, the seat this morning, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that as the Spirit moves, that they would move from darkness to light by accepting Jesus Christ by faith. So Father, continue to move amongst us, continue to prepare the way as we commit ourselves to you and to you alone. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.